We are a group that focuses on gender data and measurement. So we are really interested in the capture of data that will illuminate gender equality and empowerment. Welcome back to the DFN Podcast. I'm your host, Allie, and today we're going to be talking about big data and gender in the age of COVID-19. We've invited Anita Raj, Malika Dahinya, and Arnab Day from the Center on Gender Equity in Health at UC San Diego onto the show to help us explore this topic. We know that understanding the gendered effects of the COVID-19 pandemic has been challenging due to limitations in data collection. In this episode, we talk about how big data is helping to fill these information gaps. The team at UC San Diego has published a series of briefs that analyze big data, such as Twitter data and Google Trends, to highlight key gendered issues during the pandemic within select country contexts. They also did something really cool, and that is for each brief in the five-part series, the researchers provided reproducible codes along with descriptions of the methodology to serve as a how-to section for replication of these analyses in any country context. This lounge was originally recorded in March of 2021, so we discussed the two briefs that were published at that time. Brief 1 explores the mining of Twitter data to identify topics of discussion by Indian feminist activists, and Brief 2 uses Google Trends data to assess reproductive health needs in Nigeria during COVID-19. All five briefs have now been published, and we'll provide a link to those briefs in the show notes. Without further ado, thank you, Anita, Malika, and Arnab for joining us. Thank you for inviting us. Awesome. So before jumping into the more granular level details of your briefs, let's talk about the overarching goal and benefits of leveraging big data for gender equality in the age of COVID-19. So we know that understanding the gendered effects of the COVID-19 pandemic is challenging because of the limitations in data collection. So how is big data helping to fill these information gaps when traditional data is lacking or unavailable? I can start with that. We are we're a group that focuses through a project called Emerge, funded by the Gates Foundation, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. We are a group that focuses on gender data and measurement. So we are really interested in the capture of data that will illuminate gender equality and empowerment. We have really emphasized focus on survey data collection because for a lot of the social behavioral measures that we're interested in, we rely on survey data. At this time, it's not easy or necessarily safe for people to be able to collect data in the field, um, to collect survey data in the field. So what a lot of people are doing is they're doing data collection via phone, but that's going to be a biased sample. And even data collection from the phone can be very time consuming. A lot of people aren't in the offices, training opportunities aren't available. So it really is leaving, leaving us with a gap in knowledge that we need to fill because things are changing rapidly under the pandemic, under shutdowns, not just the, the health impact of the pandemic, but also just the, the social impact, the well-being impact, broadly speaking. We won't be able to understand that unless we have some aspect of measurement that we can capture. So we, as a group, decided that one thing that we could do is look to uh, big data that is rapidly produced and timely to provide insight into the, the gendered effects of the COVID pandemic. And so that's really what was the 
the beginning of this project. And then we work closely with Data2x, which is a UN foundation-based organization or connected organization to be able to ensure that when we do these big data analyses, not only are we trying to showcase findings, but we actually include the methodology. We would like to include the methodology so that other people can, can be able to replicate it in their country context or in their regional context. So that was sort of the basis and what we're trying to do. Yeah, I love how your briefs are written and how it does highlight the methodology, especially being a master's of business analytics student myself. It's really interesting to read about the methodology and I can see how what I'm learning in school is, is applied in what you guys are doing, which is always great to, great to see. And based on what you said, is it safe to say that COVID-19 and the global economic recession that we're in right now is stimulating innovation in, in gender research? You know, I think we have been focusing on how it's been stimulating gender regressive practices as of late. But yeah, I think it's, I think it has been, I think that we've become, we've had to, we've had to be very innovative in terms of distant partnerships, in terms of data collection analysis and interpretation of that data, in terms of how we're collaborating. So yeah, I, I think, yes, we would say that. Malika and Arnav, I, I want to kind of defer to them because they've been doing much more of the analytic approaches and, and generation of the findings. Yeah, so I think I'm talking a bit about what other organizations are doing and uh, you know, adopting a broader definition of big data here. In the pandemic, we're definitely seeing an increase in public-private partnership efforts in collecting more gender-related big data through these private organizations, which already have an existing infrastructure, existing large social networks to be able to reach out to a large number of people very rapidly, very quickly. Uh, for example, Facebook has collaborated with the World Bank and they're taking advantage of this large user base that Facebook already has to carry out surveys to understand gender equality at home. Facebook is also carrying out another survey to understand how male versus female business owners have been impacted by the pandemic. So I think there, there definitely has been a lot of innovation during the pandemic. We're also seeing a, a lot of use of non-traditional forms of data, like you know data from hotline centers for domestic violence to understand how the pandemic has increased domestic violence rates uh, across different countries. I would, I would just like to add one small point which we can discuss later. So Anita spoke about how innovations have been aimed at closing the gap in knowledge that we have because we cannot go out and do surveys. But I think a lot of this, this research is also addressing the gap in emerging issues. So some of the research that we have been doing uh, do bring up some of some uh, really urgent and important issues that might not be as obvious. Some of our recent Twitter analysis highlighted the issue of how girls and women in crisis-affected areas were doubly impacted by uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and how their education and health outcomes were severely exacerbated because of COVID. Yeah, so I think research like this, while it's innovative, it's also kind of bringing up really urgent and emerging topics that, uh, you know, can be, can be further explored and, and uh, dived into. It's always nice to identify those silver linings during the pandemic and, and hear that we are finding new ways to identify and illuminate those, those problems that are continuing to rise during the pandemic. Now getting into your briefs, your, your first brief studied Twitter conversations of Indian feminist activists to help identify gender issues that need attention but are under-prioritized politically. 
So could you give us a bit of background and walk us through your approach, the results, and the implications of your analysis? So this brief examines tweets that were posted by feminist activists from India during the pandemic. And our main goal here was to check if there were key topics of discussion that were being talked about or posted by these activists, and if there were any identifiable patterns to these discussions and posts. And uh, the main idea behind doing this, as you pointed out, was primarily to highlight different issues related to gender that feminist activists in India were talking about. Uh, you know, issues that might not necessarily be an agenda of the government or agenda of funding organizations. And the key reason uh, we felt such an analysis would be of value was in the context of the nature of urgency for understanding gender issues during the pandemic. You know, like I mentioned, right after a month of countries going into lockdown, we were seeing reports about uh, increasing cases of domestic violence against women across different countries. And just overall, uh, we were observing very rapid impacts and setbacks to gender equality, uh, to the progress of gender equality. So with this analysis, we wanted to tap into the potential of Twitter, uh, which is now very commonly used as a tool for activism, uh, and also because Twitter data is publicly available for free. So we wanted to provide a snapshot of what, according to grassroots feminist activists, were the critical issues of gender during the pandemic. So that's the brief background and rationale behind why we uh, worked on this brief. And the first step in running the analysis was, of course, to identify the feminist activist Twitter accounts. So we reached out to multiple gender researchers from India to get a list of feminist activist accounts that they follow. And then uh, we also looked for any feminist accounts that were followed by these activists themselves to get a more comprehensive list of Twitter accounts. After this process, our final uh, sample was uh, a list of 59 Twitter accounts. We then extracted all of the recent tweets posted by these accounts uh, using the official Twitter API. Then moving on to the analysis, so we used a very commonly used text analysis method, which is called topic modeling. So topic modeling automatically identifies and organizes text that is similar in terms of semantics. To give a very basic example, let's say we have a number of different tweets. First of which is, I love to play soccer. And the second tweet is, Liverpool is my favorite soccer team. And the third is, uh, I'm planning to get a pet dog. And the fourth one is, I've never had a pet dog growing up. So what topic modeling would do is, it will tell you uh, that the first, two topics, uh, that you have two topics in the set of four tweets, and uh, the topic one is represented by the word soccer, which was a common word in the first two tweets, and uh, the second topic is represented by the words pet and a dog, which were the common words for the remaining two tweets. Of course, this is a very simplistic example. Often in most research, as well as in our own analysis, topic modeling is dealing with a much larger and much complex set of texts. But the basic idea remains the same. It's to look at the different words that are occurring in each text and also the patterns of words um, across the sample of text. So you can look at the words corresponding to each topic and infer what each topic represents. You can also go back to each tweet and look at what topic has been assigned to the tweets to infer what topics uh, what the topics are truly capturing. So when we ran topic modeling on our sample, we identified 18 different topics. We uh, identified topics related to COVID, of course. Uh, there was a topic on COVID-related health services and COVID vaccine. We also found uh, multiple topics on gender issues such as violence against women. So many active activists were, talk uh, were using Twitter to create awareness about increasing rates of domestic violence during the pandemic. Um, there were also topics on data feminism and importance of sex education. We also found topics related to 
political activism and civil unrest in the country and about the needs of socially marginalized groups which i think alludes to the fact that political activism and fighting for civil rights is as much a part of or is concurrent with uh, feminist activism and then we also ran some additional analysis after identifying these topics we looked at temporal trends of these topics so when did certain topics peak or when were certain topics being posted about the most and what we found was that majority of the topics peaked in response to real world events for example um, there was an incident in india that received a lot of media attention where a few boys were posting morphed images of their female classmates on instagram chat and what we see from our analysis is that right after that incident uh, was covered by the media there was a peak in the topic related to education where majority of the tweets from feminist activists were about importance of sex education and about the importance of uh, teaching consent to young boys so i think these results show that twitter is being used in india as a platform for very real time activism you know popular topics of discussion in twitter coincide with key offline events of importance and then yeah another finding that was uh, that we found was that most of the observed peaks in topics were attached to the use of specific hashtags which highlights the potential of effective social media campaigns in spreading awareness around issues of importance so yeah these are some of the key findings briefly and uh, if anyone here is interested in running this analysis for a different country context or even using the text analysis method for a different research question that you might have we have made the code available in public domain so please feel free to use it thank you so much malika i think that we're coming to understand that social media platforms have really become the world's largest database of emotions attitudes and cultural norms and it's amazing that you were able to draw from that wealth of information in in such a meaningful way. So your second brief, which I believe Arnav is going to talk about, equally as amazing, uses Google Trends data to assess reproductive health needs in Nigeria during the pandemic. So again, could you give us a bit of background, walk us through your approach and and highlight some of the key findings? Sure. Uh, at the time when uh, we were working on the Twitter analysis, we were also reviewing papers which talked about how pregnancies and abortions were being affected by during the COVID-19 pandemic. And we were looking at data across the world. We looked at India. We looked at uh, some of the African countries, and uh, we identified that in most of the countries there were peaks uh, around uh, search terms related to pregnancy, abortion. which corresponded very highly with the lockdown periods that these countries had and this was really surprising to us and we kind of uh, looked a bit deeper into their context which led us to find that you know a lot of these countries had very restrictive norms around abortion so we picked uh, nigeria as a, a specific case uh, in point and we started looking at the data a little bit deeper we chose uh, google trends to look at how searches around these specific terms kind of increased or decreased during the pandemic and there are really two ways to go about it from a from a very you know data analysis angle so there are there is something uh, called google trends which is very very 
a very simple way of uh, analyzing relative uh, interest in search terms but then there's another thing uh, which is which is called google health data now the difference between these two data sets is that google, the the usual google trends data allows us only relative uh, a, a relative interest uh, in a specific search term so for example if you if you search let's say football and cricket just to extend malika's example these two so google trends would return results where the search terms would be reported out of 100 and let's say cricket is 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 less famous than football so cricket would the the search t- trends around cricket would be kind of be reported in relative terms to football in our context what we found was we uh, if we search for uh, terms related to pregnancy and abortion and pregnancy test if we pool all of these terms together uh, on google trends what it does is it kind of reports relative frequencies of these search terms so that's google trends on the other hand if you look at if you really want to look at absolute numbers of searches that were made you would need to go to something called google health data and that needs like permissions from google and you know writing to them and then allowing you to like access their data on 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 specific search terms so we stuck uh, for this example to uh, google search trends and to avoid the problem of having relative reports we searched individual search terms in in a, a specific query so what we did was in 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 one search we only used the first term of pregnancy in the second search we used the second term of uh, pregnancy test and so on and so forth uh, so we kept these really segregated we did not uh, merge multiple terms together and the data the raw data that you kind of get is a week by week interest in search over time for a particular uh, search term so our first search term was pregnancy and we specified the period to start from 1st of march 2020 to i believe 31st january 2021 and the search uh, results that we got was a week by week interest over time uh, on those specific terms so this allowed us to plot interest in these terms over time uh, which gave us a really uh, good curve we smoothed that curve uh, using loess uh, smoothing and uh, that kind of reduced some of the noise that was was there in the data and once we had this trend we superimposed this with the lockdown phases that nigeria so nigeria had like four different phases of lockdown of which the first phase of lockdown was the most strictest and that was also the time that you know that was really the beginning and the onset of the uh, whole pandemic and what we saw uh, was really interesting we we find that search terms around pregnancy pregnancy test abortion and misoprostol which is a, a drug used to induce abortion all of these uh, search terms really peaked during the first phase of lockdown which kind of brings us to some real world implications first uh, we kind of conclude that this is not causal so we cannot say that okay covid-19 absolutely caused you know an immense surge in pregnancies or immense surge in abortion abortions however uh, this interest in search term which is so different and so uh, and and and, uh, and a spike that is so uh, obvious kind of implicates that there was there was a there was a there was a surge in the interest around these terms which means that there might have been a corresponding surge in the healthcare needs in the country and that started to uh, kind of delve into us that uh, you know if there was such a sharp spike in interests around pregnancies and abortions was the healthcare 
system thinking about these surges or these increased needs and to the to the best of our belief it was not i mean no country was thinking to ramp up its sexual and reproductive health services in the middle of the pandemic and uh, that is really crucial here because analysis like these uh, really help us in understanding the some of the unintended effects of pandemics or lockdowns and how health systems can be better prepared to serve those needs in in any future context so yeah that's that's a, a brief summary of of uh, you know how we approached the 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 research question and uh, the implications that uh, our findings made and uh, just like the first brief i think this brief also includes all the codes and all the raw data sets as well so if, if somebody uh, wants to do the same analysis in a different country context or use different search terms uh, just feel free to use the code thank you arnab really incredible work and again so impressive that you and other big data researchers are able to pull from this existing public information to fill these gaps and and highlight these key gendered issues in recent years we've seen how the amounts of data can illuminate gendered topics of global concern and and your research is a great example of this with this in mind where do you see emerging opportunities in the realm of big data in terms of progress for women and girls i can i can go first i think uh, i see huge potential in twitter that so so twitter is this huge massive source of data where as you rightly said i think which reflects our emotions our sentiments our anger frustration uh, joy uh, so so it, it it's a huge and live data set that kind of can be tapped into from multiple facets so two things come to my mind the first one is that it's all about innovative sampling so twitter and so, so there are two components to analyzing twitter like two big components one is how do you approach your sample how do you choose or drill down to your specific specific population of interest so are you are you interested in just women are you interested in married women are you interested in you know young girls or are you interested in uh, families so so are you interested in male teachers female teachers so so there, there are multiple ways in which you can think of there are multiple populations that can be of interest to you as a researcher and there are multiple ways that you can sample twitter handles and and see what uh, their emotions are what their sentiments are what they are talking about another big thing that i feel about uh, uh, like uh, that that this research can uh, go into is to tap into the social network side of twitter so so far we have been looking at how we can analyze twitter data to understand sentiments to understand different topics that are being discussed but another uh, hugely unexplored area when it comes to twitter data i think is analysis of social networks that get formed how do you know i mean there are, there are there are leaders in every sector there are there are in for example in malika's first brief we looked at uh, feminist activists so how do uh, how does a tweet made from a leader or from a from a thought leader influence the thinking of their followers so to say and this has more real life consequences that that we would believe i mean th- things that we see on twitter read on twitter uh, see on youtube actually influence our life in in quite a quite a quite a substantial way than than we choose to admit i feel i feel so i think that's that's the direction that big data analysis should be uh, heading towards so thinking more innovatively about 
how do we sample our specific research groups of interest and also to think of more innovative ways to harness the potential of the social network that exists on twitter in addition to doing more uh, interesting work around topic modeling and sentiment analysis thank you arnab anita or malika do you guys have anything to add to that I absolutely agree with what Arnav just mentioned. Definitely, I see tremendous potential in leveraging these uh, publicly available big data sources, and uh, be that social media data or data from Google or data from digital health records. There's already been some very interesting work done with big data sources to understand different social issues, which now I think could be extended to gender-related questions. Uh, for example. satellite data on climate and health uh, climate and weather has been used to examine the impacts of climate change on a bunch of uh, humanitarian issues and it can also be used to study how uh, climate shocks can impact women and girls lives um, similarly there's also work done with uh, satellite data again on night lights to predict the status of economic development for different countries and uh, this work has actually received a lot of attention from the research and policy community because frequent and granular data on development is missing for uh, a lot of african countries so if i i'm thinking of it from a gender perspective there's potential to combine data on night lights or data from google street view which tells you how safe and accessible different uh, cities and towns are and combining that with different traditional sources of data to predict indicators of gender development but uh, related to the point of you know innovating in terms of sampling that are not just mentioned um, i think while there is work being done on using big data sources to answer questions related to gender there is also a parallel sort of research community that is working on understanding how feasible and uh, accurate it is when we are using big data sources uh, for the, for example there's work being done to understand what kind of demographic uh, are most represented when we are using twitter data or even how ethical it is to use uh, social media data in the first place um, and how we can mitigate some of these uh, different secondary biases so um such work i think is equally important and uh, definitely needs more focus um, in the coming future so that we truly able to use big data in a meaningful and responsible way so yeah thank you malika thank you arnab thank you anita and thank you everyone for joining us today thank you so thank much you. thank you thanks for tuning in to this week's episode to stay up to date on dfn events check out our website at www.datafeminismnetwork.org if you're a fan of the show follow us on instagram at @datafeminismnetwork and on twitter at @datafemnetwork you can also follow us on linkedin where we post event updates and share job opportunities related to data equity and inclusion be sure to tune in to next week's episode for a very special q and a with co-author of data feminism lauren f klein <laughs>